and turn to Joshua chapter 6. Joshua chapter 6. I'm going to try to quickly give us a review of what we covered last week because we did cover some of the things in, uh, about Jericho last week. And uh, once Bri- Brother Brian gets up here with, that, uh, with the maps, we'll look at a couple of these things. And uh, hey, I got a new tool that Brother Kevin brought me. It's a little finger. That way, when I when I can't reach the when I can't reach the TV, at least I can point to it for you. All right. So, and I think I might use this for preaching on Sunday mornings too, because I can be like, "Thou art the man." All right. <laughs> and uh, there's no question of who I'm talking about when I got this thing in my hand. Right. So, um, anyway, I'll, I'll 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 try to use it if uh, if I walk over there. So, uh, remind me to use my pointer finger. All right. But. Uh, Let's, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit and do a little bit of review on this, all right? And um, we'll try to remember some of these things here. I got my, there we go. All right, so what's the, let's see here. How about, uh, what is this area right here? Mediterranean Sea, good job. What is this whole area called? The Negev, very good. And the top half of the Negev is? Wilderness of Zin. The bottom half is the? Wilderness of Paran. What is this down here? The Red Sea, right. All right, now here's a question for you, okay? What is this gulf called? All right, the Gulf of Aqaba. If it's on the Jordanian side, what is it called if it's on the, on the uh, Israeli side? We talked about it. Starts with an E. Elat, remember that? That's the, it's the Gulf of Elat on the Israeli side. And actually... The way the boundary line is drawn, it literally runs right down through the middle of that finger of the Red Sea. All right, and actually, if we if we were to let me pull this out a little bit. All right, I'm not going to pull it all the way out. I'm just going to pull it out enough to see it. All right, but there, <laughs> I guess. Oh yeah, I guess you can see it. All right, so here's the here's the Gulf. This is the Red Sea, and these are this is actually part of the Red Sea, um, but this is the Gulf of Aqaba on one side, the Gulf of Elat on the other side, and. Uh, it's known pretty much as the Gulf of Aqaba, but uh, on the Israeli side, it is, the, it is Elat. It's the Gulf of Elat. So, all right, and then what is this area right here? Uh, nope. Arva Valley. Very good. Because the Jordan River runs between this body of water, Sea of Galilee, and the Dead Sea. All right. What are these mountains? These mountains are in what country? Jordan. Very good. What is this country? Egypt. Very good. Uh, let's see. What is this area called right here, all the way around the Dead Sea? The Judean wilderness. Very good. All right. And where is Jericho? Right there. Yeah. <laughs> Jericho is right here. Right? So that's what we're talking about. All right. And let me, let me just, uh, and I actually have a little bit of a map on here too. So there is, there's Jericho. All right. The Salt Sea. And actually, I pointed this out before, uh, but the fact that Israel gave control of the Jordan River to the country of Jordan, and they've started diverting a lot of that, uh, now the Jordan River doesn't run so much into the Dead Sea. This is an older map, and see how, the, how that Salt Sea is all connected right there, right? If you look on this map, it's not connected anymore because it's drying up. The Dead Sea is drying up, and it's, it's, getting, it's, it's losing... Um, inches and even feet per year. That's how quickly it's drying up because of that water that's being diverted. So you can see how on a map that's from, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 years ago to a map today, 
and how much it's actually, the whole center is gone because it's just, it's drying up. So anyway, uh, so Jericho has a major place in biblical events. I'm going to cover this very quickly, but all of the events in Numbers 22 through 36 and all of Deuteronomy occurred right there in that area. Mount Nebo, the Jordan Valley, and Jericho. And Jericho really was the only city that was there. So the Bible refers to Jericho a lot. And we talked about a good number of those last week. Um, but it refers to Jericho a lot because that was the only reference point they had. There wasn't really anything else there. So when they talk about the Jordan River by Jericho, it's pretty close to Jericho. But Mount Nebo, of course, that's where um, Moses saw the promised land. Uh, but Israel camped on that side of the Jordan River. And, of course, then that's where they crossed the Jordan River and went over and conquered Jericho as the first place that they conquered. All right, this is a great map, and then I'm going to move along pretty quickly. But there's Mount Nebo. There's the plains of Moab, which is where Israel was camped um, in, in most of that section of Numbers and Deuteronomy. The Jordan River, of course, the Jordan River is only 2% as wide as it was when Israel crossed it because of the same thing, a lot of, a lot of diversion and everything else, 2% as wide. So, I mean, and the Jordan River is not wide today. Like I mentioned, I think in most places it's, it's probably no wider than this building, um, and in some places it's even less. But... Um, if you can imagine it being 50 times that wide, that's, that's, that's a wide, wide river. And, of course, God dried it up about, about six, uh, six or eight miles upstream and uh, stacked the waters up on top of each other, and they crossed it on dry ground. There's the Dead Sea. There's Jericho, all right? And that's what we're talking about. We talked about Balaam. We talked about, uh, let's see here. I'm going to cover this pretty quickly. Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, that thrust them through with the spear. We talked about Joshua being anointed there and meet him meeting the captain of the Lord's host. Uh, there's the tribal divisions. Um, God gave Moses a restatement of uh, the book of Deuteronomy and amazing prophecy of their, uh, of their destruction, but then also of their um, blessings if they, would follow, if they would follow God. And then let me get to the place Pisgah, which is the highest peak of Mount Nebo, Moses saw the promised land before he died. Of course, Moses died, and how did Moses get buried? God buried him, and to this day, nobody knows where Moses is buried, right? There's Mount Nebo. Pisgah is right near next to that, uh, and there's a picture of that. So there's Mount Nebo. That whole thing is called Mount Nebo, but there's different peaks on that mountain, as you can tell. And the highest peak on Mount Nebo is Pisgah, and that's where Moses was standing when he saw the promised land, and a great view of the promised land it is from where He's standing. There's the view. You can see basically everything from there. Would have very easily been able to see where Jericho was at and all of that stuff. And, of course, that's the first thing that he came to. Um, there's a little video. But Moses died and was buried. Then the two spies went into Jericho. Rahab hid the spies. God promised that, that she would be saved. And whoever was in her family would be saved if they were in that house. And, uh, of course, they ran to the mountains. There's the mountains that they ran to from Jericho. And I showed you a picture, uh, remind you of, of all the different caves and everything else that were up there in that mountainous area. It would have been very easy for them, actually, to hide uh, uh, and get away from uh, the people in Jericho who were looking for them. When the heat died down, they went back to Israel, and, uh, of course, they, they relayed the story of uh, Rahab. And uh, Rahab, by the way, we were just talking about this at the men's breakfast. Rahab is one of the four women who is actually listed in Matthew's genealogy. Uh, that in the line of Christ, and uh, very interesting study on that. Um, 
But uh, Luke actually has, in Luke chapter 3, the entire genealogy of Christ, and it's all men, 57 of them. Uh, Matthew has the genealogy of Christ, and he included four women. All four of them were Gentile women, and, and all four of them, with the exception of Ruth, now five if you count Mary, because she was, obviously she was the mother of Jesus, but in the actual genealogy, four of them are Gentile women, and three of them were not good women at all. Uh, one of them was Tamar, one of them was uh, Bathsheba, one of them was Ruth, who we find nothing bad about in, in the Bible, and uh, remind me what the last one is. Rahab, yeah, of course, that's why I brought it up in the first place. <laughs> all of them, all of them were not known for, for being good ladies except for Ruth, right? And they had reputations that followed them, but they, 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 turned, they turned to God uh, God changed their lives and allowed them to be in the line of Jesus Christ. Now, of course, all of them married Jewish husbands, or they wouldn't have been in the line of Christ. Jesus Christ came through the line of David and all the way to uh, Joseph, who was in the line of David as well. Um, but I think one of, the, one of the main things that Matthew was trying to get across is that uh, Jesus Christ came not just for the Jews, he came for the Gentiles as well. And there's no way to mention Gentiles in the genealogy unless you mention the four women who were those Gentiles. And, uh, and, and it's just an interesting thing. But Rahab was one of those ladies. And, uh, of course, they crossed, the, they crossed on dry ground. There's the Jordan River in the 19, or 1890s. Priest, the, the, the Jordan River dried up, but not until the priests actually put their feet in the water. And it went all the way back up to Adam. You see where Adam is? It's about 16 miles upstream. That's how far back God stopped the waters of the Jordan River, allowed them to pile up so they could cross on dry ground, and they did, and they went into Jericho, and you can see the possible route that they would have taken. Adam was all the way back there, 16 miles up the Jordan River, quite a distance, and of course, then the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, they crossed, and uh, God, God um, told Joshua to build a memorial, so he built those 12 stones, or set up those 12 stones as a memorial to this day, the Bible says. But Jericho was the first city that was conquered by Israel when they got into the promised land. It's known as the, uh, the city of the moon. They worship the moon god. And, uh, of course, Jericho was not a good place when it comes to uh, who they served and worshipped and everything else. But Jericho was located west of the Jordan River where Israel entered the land from Moab, which we already looked at. That whole land there was all Moab. Uh, right here along the Dead Sea. This is all the land of Moab, and they would have crossed about right here as they, as they went into Jericho. And uh, there's that map again. There's, there's a reconstructive drawing of what Jericho probably would have looked like with probably a little bit more greenery and agricultural fields and things like that that they would have been a part of. There's a close-up of that map. Um, this is the Mount of Temptation, as we'll talk about in just a little bit. Some streets in the city of Jericho. Temptation Restaurant is kind of a tourist trap where they get a lot of people. Lowest place on earth, 1,300 feet below sea level, 10,000 years old, which uh, if you go by the dates in the Bible, 10,000 years is, is about 3,000 to 4,000 years older than the earth actually is. The earth is no more than 7,000 years old, uh, but it's been uh, inhabited for a long, long time. There's the Elisha Spring Fountain. It's right there in Jericho. Uh, that is where uh, Elisha made the... Uh, the poisoned water, sweet to drink. And now here we are, all right? There's what the city of Jericho looked like. And uh, we'll give you some pictures of it and uh, some, some diagrams of it. And we're going to look at this story here in Joshua chapter 6, all right? Jericho was a well-fortified city with a double wall and strong double gates. 
The outer wall was six feet thick and about 25, uh, 26 feet high. The inner wall was 12 feet thick and 26 feet high. It's a, it was an amazing place. Uh, not the first place you'd want to come to when you say, all right, let's go take the land of Canaan, and that's what you come to, right? And uh, I'll, I'll point this out in a second, but inside the outer wall, and we're going to look at some diagrams here to show you uh, how the Bible's story is true, all right? A lot of people doubt the Bible's story. The walls didn't fall down. They didn't blah, blah, blah. The way Jericho was constructed made it perfect for that to happen, and this is what we're going to talk about. So inside the outer wall, all right, here, I get to use my pointer finger. All right, but, so what we're talking about right here, all right, is, is all of this area, but, so there was an embankment that sloped up to the city, so from the bottom all the way up to this, uh, to this inner wall, uh, which was about 12 feet thick and uh, 20 to 26 feet high, all right, so the top of the inner wall was about five stories above the ground. So as Israel is marching around the uh, city of Jericho, the walls that they can see are about 50 feet high. You have a 20 to 26 foot wall on the outside and then an embankment on the inside and then another 20 to 26 feet foot wall that was built on top of that. So the outside walls were not 50 feet, but the walls that they were looking at would have been that high. And of course, when they're being threatened by uh, another army or something like that, you're not necessarily keeping all of your people in that outer ring. They go onto the inside. So there would have been soldiers and things like that in that outer ring, but most of the people would have been inside, and so that's where they would have been looking at the children of Israel from. So the mighty city of Jericho was conquered by faith in God's word. Israel didn't have any kind of siege engines, which would be those, uh, what they would use to block everything off, to keep anybody from coming into the city. Uh, Jericho was conquered by the miracle of the walls falling down, and they fell in response to Israel's faith and Israel's obedience in what God had told them to do. Traversing the city seven times, seven days, and then seven times on the seventh day, that's, that's persistence of faith. And boy, there's a lot of lessons that we can learn from the city of Jericho, but uh, they, were, they, were to tr to, they were to go around the city in complete silence. They were not supposed to make a sound. They were not supposed to say a word. They were not supposed to blow their ram's horns. They weren't supposed to do any of those things. Uh, they were supposed to do it in complete silence. And for six days, they traveled around that entire city one time. And then on the seventh day, they had to travel around that city seven times. And that's persistence of faith. Uh, and, and you've heard the story many, many times. But couldn't you imagine what they must have been thinking on day five and day six and day seven when they had made it three or four or five times around the city? Uh, but they stepped out in faith to do what God told them to do. They, they were persistent in that faith, and God answered uh, what they what he told them to do. So Joshua chapter 6 in verse number 20, and you can look down. I mean, I, I wish we had time to read the entire story. I hope you'll go back and read it. Uh, I, I think after we get done tonight and you go back and read the story, it'll open up to you a little bit more. You'll, you'll notice things that you haven't noticed before because you're seeing the pictures of the city in your mind and you're noticing things that you would not normally have noticed. But in Joshua chapter 6 and verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. Well, if the walls are flat, how can they go up into the city? It's built on an embankment, right? Those walls fell down flat, and they walked right up the embankment up into the city. And I'm going to show you some diagrams. I'm going to show you some actual pictures of, uh, of the city of Jericho. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 30. 
says, by faith, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. That's the, the, that story is such a story of faith that God decided to put it in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which, I mean, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, we call it the hall of faith, right? And we mention it because Rahab is in there too. Um, but the, the walls of Jericho fell down. The trumpets were shofars that were made out of ram's horns. In fact, I forgot to bring it in. Brian, would you go in my office and on the shelf? I, I have a ram's horn that I want to show you, um, and, and you can at least get a picture of it. I have a video of a guy that's actually blowing it, but shofar is a Hebrew word that is translated trumpet in many places. So when they blew the trumpets, what they were blowing was more than likely a ram's horn. Now, um, it would have been a little bit different when you're talking about the trumpet as an instrument, like what they would have played um, in the temple and, and in, the, uh, in the gathering in the temple. And uh, I've, I've blown, I should have practiced before. I'm not going to do it today, but uh, I might do it afterwards. But uh, it's a curved instrument that's made of the horn of a ram or other animals. And they make, they actually, they make all different sizes of these things. This one's about a, about a medium-sized one, but that's, a, that's what they look like. And I'll let you come look at it afterwards, uh, as long as you don't drop it and break it. But uh, one of the ways that you can tell if it's real is it really, really stinks. And it's not from blowing in it with bad breath. It's from the, uh, it's from the actual animal itself. It literally is, is made out of the same thing that your fingernails and toenails are made out of. Dr. Swung has probably seen some toenails that look about like this, too, I'm sure. <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, so it would come straight off of ram's horns. They also have, uh, they would also come from a couple different animals, but more, most likely the ones that they actually used in, um, in, in, the, uh, in the actual blowing of the trumpet would have been a ram's horns, which would have not have been that long and, and wide um, and curved, but it was used for a lot of different purposes in Israel. Um, the shofar is going to sound the arrival of the day of the Lord, Joel chapter 2 and verse 2. It's going to announce the repentance and the conversion of Israel in the rest of that chapter. And I wish we had time to go back and look at it. You can write these verses down and go back and look at them later. Uh, it's a very interesting passage. Um, but uh, it's, and you can see actually how long that one is. Uh, that's about the longest you'll find. Um, some of the longest ones that were there in Israel were, were probably about like this. And, and that's about the, the length of the one that you see in the picture up there. Um, but just, just uh, it's, it's not a beautiful instrument by any stretch, but it'll definitely get your attention. And um, I do have a video. Here you go. All right, so this is uh, shofars. Can we make sure the volume is up on there? They're still used by the religious Jews today, and here's an example of a guy blowing one. definitely get your attention. Almost sounds like a foghorn, right? Um, but they're still used today and uh, in their religious gatherings. But here's another interesting thing, and we see this in Joshua chapter 6 there in verse number 24. Um, actually, let's, let's back up and look at verse uh, 22. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath, as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord, verse 25, and Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive in her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel 
even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So Joshua burned the city of Jericho with fire, and that's a very interesting uh, point uh, when it comes to backing up exactly this Bible story, and we'll see that in just a second. There's an aerial view of the, of the Jericho tell. Now, does anybody remember what a tell is? Kevin? A hill? But even more than that. No, it's a what? Yes, so, so it's man-made. That's the difference between just a mound of dirt and a tell is a tell is a man-made mound of dirt. You're right, it's a hill, but it's a man-made hill. And the reason why many times they were so high is because it was civilization built on top of civilization, on top of civilization, on top of civilization, and that's what Jericho is. Now, you can see this. This is an aerial view of the, of the Jericho Mountains with, uh, of the Jericho Tell, sorry, with the Judean Mountains in the background. And uh, those are the mountains that we came through to come down into where Jericho is at. But you can see, I mean, and it's pretty obvious there by looking at it. Of course, there's roads and stuff there now that were not there, obviously, when Jericho was the city of Jericho that we're talking about now. But you can tell that that's a man-made mound. It's not just a natural hill like the hills that are in the back and, and everything else. But uh, here's a few other pictures. Now, I'm going to show you this in just a little bit. Those big shadows are actually the, uh, the cable cars that go up to the top of the Mount of Temptation. And you, you get on that cable car from... From Jericho, and so that's what those little pictures are, those little uh, shadows are in the background. But uh, you can, you can kind of see how big the city of Jericho is. I think I did put an arrow on it, um, but these are people standing up there, all right? So to kind of put it into perspective a little bit, um, but there's, there's just, uh, there's, there's, a, there's the arrow pointing, pointing at the people. Um, so it's, it's pretty big. It's not, it's not a tiny little place, and that would have been the inside wall. That would have been like... Uh, where the inner, uh, the inner part of the city was. Um, there, there's a little bit better view. I, I took a lot of these pictures, and you can see the three dots there. Those are actually part of the, uh, the cable car as well. But um, um, So those were taken from the air as we were going up above the city of Jericho. You can see in the background, and I'll point this out a little bit later on, but you can see the Jordanian mountains in the background. You can't really see the Jordan River um, but kind of where that dark spot is, that, that long dark spot in the back, that's not the Jordan River, but that's about where the Jordan River is as it runs from the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. And I'll show you a picture in a little bit. You can actually see the Dead Sea from the city of Jericho. That's how, that's how close to, to the Dead Sea it is and, of course, then to the Jordan River. So when you're talking about proximity of Israel crossing the Jordan River from the land of Moab, crossing the Jordan River, and, in, and into where Jericho was at, it's not that great of a distance, all right? That whole thing there, that, that whole left edge is the city of Jericho. Uh, just a few pictures there for you to kind of get a picture of where it's at. And this is looking east at the Jericho Tell, so that kind of gives you a pretty good. And, and by looking at that, you can really tell that it's not a natural hill. I mean, and a lot of times they would have not just said, oh, this looks like a good spot. Let's build here and start building on top of it. They would have tried to find some kind of little bit of a natural mound to build on. But then as that civilization fell or got conquered, they would wipe it out and then they would just, they would, they would level everything and then build on top of it. And then level everything and build on top of it, depending on who took it over and who, who you know, who ruled it and everything else. There's an ancient tower in Jericho and, uh, back out a little bit and give you kind of an idea of what it would have looked like there. Um, but you see all those, the, all those uh, pillars, those towers that were all on the outside. 
um, and also on the inside, that would have been one of the foundations of, of those pillars. And, you know, they've only done so much uh, excavation at Jericho. Um, they've done enough to, to find out what they need to know and really, as we're going to talk about in a little bit, completely back up the Bible account of the story of Jericho. Um, but there's, there's probably a lot more of those underneath that tell that have not been excavated yet. And uh, who knows if they ever will. Um, um, Israel does not control that area. Uh, that's an Arab village. And so, you know, obviously the Arabs don't really care to let Israel come in there and just do whatever they want to do. They don't want Israel to be able to prove the Bible. They don't want Israel to be able to find these things. They don't care if Israel has their history or not. Um, they, the Israel, Israel and the Arabs are, are not, um, not, not on great terms. And, it's, and, it's, and actually, if you've been following any of it now, it's getting worse over there in Israel. And uh, Israel, Israel um, just launched the largest offensive that they've, ever, that, that they've done in the last 20 years. And uh, so things are starting to really ramp up over there. And uh, you, who knows how far it's going to ramp up, but it's, uh, it's coming. It's coming. And when all that stuff starts to happen, then the coming of Jesus Christ is getting even closer. And so it's not anything to be afraid of. It's something to look forward to. But there's the remnant, some of the remnants of the ancient walls. And by the way, Jericho is not protected at all. Um, now, they, had, they do. It's a little bit different than some of the other places that we actually went. You can't walk all over everything there in Jericho, but there's nothing covering anything. So it's all open to the elements, and I'm going to show you a picture in a little bit. It's just, it's just falling apart. And so some of the things that were there as really a strong evidence of this Bible story are disappearing because they're just they're crumbling. So um, there's, a, there's a, a great picture of the way that the walls fell down and fell out. And just kind of, you know, you, can, you could literally walk right up the side of that uh, mound of dirt and go right into the city. But there's a view on top of Tel Jericho. This is looking toward the Mount of Temptation in the Judean mountains. And I'll point that out to you. Um, but the, the, um, the tall peak on the far right side is actually the Mount of Temptation. And uh, it's where, uh, where Jesus was tempted uh, by the devil. At least that's the traditional place. Um, that, that uh, tradition says that that happened. Who knows if it really was or not. Nobody was there and took a picture of it or anything. But this is actually on the top. I'll just give you a couple little views of the top of that tell. Um, and you can just kind of see. I mean, it's just, it's just all piles of dirt and nothing there now. And uh, we'll, we'll see in just a little bit that that's actually in accordance with exactly what God said was going to happen to the city of Jericho. And uh, it's, it's still that way today. So uh, that's standing up there on the top of it and kind of looking out over it. So that's what you would have seen if you were there in the city of Jericho. And, of course, it's a lot lower than it would have been then uh, because everything is just, everything's gone. Now, I've got some old pictures, and I didn't, I didn't put these together. I told you that, uh, that Brother David Cloud has, has put a lot of these things together, and I'm, I'm using a lot of his stuff. But this is where it gets really interesting, all right? So we've got some old pictures, and I want to I show you how the Bible's account is, is true, um, even according to uh, what archaeologists have discovered, and even according to archaeologists who don't believe the Bible and are not really trying to prove that the Bible is true. Uh, it's, it's been proven. So a German team that was headed by John Garstang, and he, was, he, he excavated Jericho from 1930 to 1936. So this will tell you how long ago this was. It's almost 100 years ago. And this was his team doing that excavation. Um, but he, Garstang was not a Bible believer. He did not believe that the Bible was true. He was a German uh, scholar. He was not. He was. He didn't come to Jericho to set out to try to prove the Bible story. He just wanted to excavate in Jericho. Um, so 
the fact that Garstang was a pioneer in the development of scientific practices in archaeology. Uh, he kept detailed, written, and photographic records, and, and that's what a lot of these pictures are. His wife helped him. Uh, there she is, um, helping him in the excavations of Jericho. So he photographed a lot of his discoveries, and there, all of those are things that they found there in the city of Jericho, and all of them date back to the time when Joshua and the children of Israel would have been crossing the Jordan River and, and going into Jericho according to the dates that we find in the biblical account and um, the dates that they found. Now, here's a couple of things, and here's some old pictures. Of course, these are from the 1930s. They're all in black and white because of that, but um, they found so much stuff there in the city of Jericho, which is also a very interesting thing. What happened when, when, um, when uh, an army would come in and, and take over a city? It would take everything out of it, right? There was still a lot of stuff left in the city of Jericho because they were not supposed to take anything, right? Achan did, and he got stoned for it, and his whole family got stoned for it. Um, but that, that's another one thing. It's a small thing, but, that, but it's, it's not insignificant that there was a lot of, of artifacts still left there in the city of Jericho as they're excavating this and doing their archaeology there. Um, there's actually some houses in the ancient city of Jericho, and you can kind of see, all right, see the slope? So kind of where that road is down on the bottom and where the top is, the outer wall would probably have more than likely been where that bottom is. It would have sloped up and then your top wall, your inner wall, which is where the king and everybody that was important would have lived, uh, was there. And uh, you, can, you can very easily see that slope that the Bible is talking about. Here's some different, um, and, and these are pictures that I took when we were there. This is what's there now. Some, some just, there, and there's not a lot left, but there's some remnants of some of these houses and different things that they would have had there in the city of Jericho, um, where they would have lived or where they would have used it for different things. Um, but like I said, uh, it's not being protected at all. So a lot of it is falling down. It's just, um, it's just. It's not going to be there for, for too much longer, I don't think. But So in the story of Jericho, 1948, and this is John Garsting again, he concluded that the date of 1400 B.C. was plainly indicated by the evidence, which the reader, he says, may examine for himself. This fits the biblical timeline. Now remember, John Garsting was not a Bible believer. He was not setting out to try to prove that the Bible was true. So the fact that he puts the date of Jericho at about 1400 B.C. proves the biblical account and proved to him that the Bible's account was true, even though he was not trying to do that. Now, you could say, well, if you're a Bible believer and you're trying to set out to prove that the story of Jericho is true, we can reasonably say that it's 1400. Well, then you could maybe doubt it, right? Because, okay, they're trying to make it fit with the Bible account. He was not. He was an independent archaeologist who didn't even believe the Bible, and he came to the conclusion that 1400 B.C. fits perfectly with the date when all of this would have happened, which is exactly about the time when Joshua and the children of Israel were walking um, uh, across the Jordan River. Now, Kathleen Kenyon, uh, and this is actually very interesting too. She was another one that came along a, a few years later in the 1950s. And uh, she, was, she was very well known as an archaeologist. Um, but she incorrectly dated, uh, in her attempt to discredit the Bible, she's trying to prove the Bible wrong when she's there in doing her archaeology work and her uh, excavations. And she claimed that the city was abandoned at least 150 years before Israel came into the land. So no way that this could even be possible. No way that the children of Israel knocked the walls down and all of this stuff happened. There wasn't even a city there in Jericho by the time they crossed and came into the land. She hated the Bible. And she, was, she set out to try to disprove the Bible's account of Jericho. 
But Dr. Brian Wood is a PhD in Syro-Palestinian uh, Syro archaeology, and he's an expert in pottery dating. Uh, he is a Christian, and, um, you know, so, so he would maybe be considered to be a little bit more biased, but he was not, when he came, to, by the time he came to Jericho and started doing some of the dating there in Jericho, he had already established himself as an expert in this field. He could take a piece of pottery and tell you what era it was from um, and use that to date, you know, what layer you're looking at in any kind of city or whatever else. He was an expert in that, and, and so he came to Jericho, and he spent more than 20 years studying the pottery from the site, and, and he concluded that Kathleen Kenyon's date was completely wrong. And he agreed with John Garstang that everything fits per perfectly with the biblical account. Um, and, and, of course, that's just one more thing. There he is at the, at the Jericho Tell. And the evidence at the ancient Jericho site fits the Bible's account in many amazing ways. Five ways. Number one, the city was strongly fortified at the time of Joshua, which fits Moses' statement that the Canaanite cities were great and fenced up to heaven. Deuteronomy 9.1 says that. And he's standing there next to kind of the base. And, and uh, really just, just uh, of course, you don't have the whole rest of the picture. But you can just see how big these walls were and how thick and how wide. Six feet on the outer wall, 12 feet on the inner wall. That's a big wall, right? That's a really big wall. And uh, wide enough that everybody could walk up and down those walls, do business, do all kinds of different things, is, which is what they did on those walls as well. But uh, the second thing about it is that the city walls collapsed and formed a ramp that allowed the Israelites to go straight up and in and enter that city. The Bible says, and we just read that, the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. And that's exactly how it could have happened. I'll show you some diagrams of that in a second. The German team found evidence that the walls had fallen the same way that the Bible said they would. So there's the upper wall that fell. There's the revetment. Now, the revetment would have been the outside wall, um, uh, the, the, basically the outside foundation that the outside wall was built upon. All right, and I'll show you a little bit more diagrams of that in just a second. That might make it make a little bit more sense. But here he is pointing to the collapsed mud bricks from the city, uh, from the city wall that fell to the base of the retaining wall at Jericho. And again, as an expert in that, he knows exactly what he's looking at. I'm looking at it, I'm saying it's just a rock, but he knows exactly what he's looking at. It can point out, hey, this is part of that wall. It obviously fell down uh, way different than, than uh, anything would have happened. All right, so here's a perfect example, all right? Um, and let me, it's, it's, kind of, it's kind of hidden in the wall a little bit, so you can't really see it. This says revetment, all right? And that would be this whole thing that goes around. So a revetment is almost like a foundation that the wall would have been built on top of, all right? So you have the revetment, you have the outer wall, this is your intersection that would have been an angle going up to the inner wall, all right? And you see the, the line up there on the top. Here's the children of Israel marching around. But the archaeologists found a large deposit of red bricks outside the revetment wall, which formed a sloping incline from the top of this restraining structure to ground level. That can only be explained by the fact that the walls fell down and fell out. All right, here's some more. Joshua 6 verse 10 says wall, singular, but Hebrews 11.30 says the walls of Jericho fell down. Archaeology has found outer and inner walls, and they both fell, and they have evidence to prove that. This drawing shows the walls and how they collapsed outward. Of course, the entire walls fell, not just a small portion of it. That's just showing you what it would have looked like so you can actually see the wall and see what it would have looked like as it fell. Now, here's a, here's a great example, a great diagram. 
Okay, so there was an outer wall that was built on a revetment, and then together, about 23 feet high and 6 feet thick. And then you have your earthen embankment, and then you have your upper wall. And if you see those walls fall completely outward, you can very easily see how that entire thing would have made just a little ramp that the Israelites would have just walked right up into. Mostly brick, but some stone as well. Yep, and that's what, the, that's what the evidence of the red brick is. So the, the revetment would have pretty much been made out of stone. The wall itself would have been made out of brick. And so that's what, that's what, that's what came down for the most part. Yes, yeah, so, uh, and there's a portion of the revetment or the retaining wall that the outer wall was standing on that was still exposed in 1997. And that's, that's after you dig down through all of that stuff and pull everything out. I mean, literally, would have been, they wouldn't even have had to walk up any of that kind of stuff. It would have been all just dirt and, and piles of rubble that they walked right up and into the city. Uh, so in between the outer wall and the inner wall was a rampart that was made out of packed earth. And you can see all of that there, that earthen embankment. There would have been houses and things built in there. And then the, the upper wall, 30 feet high. So... What I'm saying that, uh, that what the Israelites would have seen as they were walking around the outside of it is a wall that was about 50 feet high. You have from the bottom of the revetment, which is where they would have been walking, and this is, this is supposed to be a diagram of people. It's just pretty grainy. Um, but from here to there would have been about 23 feet, and then if you go straight over, you've got about another 30 feet right there. Um, so all together, they, they would have seen a wall that was about 50 feet high or five stories high at least. Um, that they would have been looking at if you were standing back and looking at the city of Jericho. So the fact that both walls were built on the top of slopes explains how they could fall down flat. By falling outward, they formed a relatively flat surface over which the Israelites could scramble and just go right up in there. And there's a picture of what it would have looked like as those walls fell down, and they could have just walked right up into the top and defeated Jericho the exact same way that the Bible says they did. So there's another illustration of the mud brick wall that was standing on the revetment or the retaining wall. So like I mentioned, that, that whole bottom would have been stone, and then they would have built their brick wall up on top of that. And of course, that's very, very thick. Um, and um, the mud brick wall then would have fallen straight down and made a ramp right up into the city, made it very easy for Israel to come up there. Now, this is actually, um, this is actually a diagram that was drawn by Kathleen Kenyon. Remember, she was the one that hated the Bible and set out to disprove it. Now, she didn't draw the colors on there. Those colors are drawn on there to help, help us see some, some different things. But Kenyon found it clear. So in spite of her misdating, she's off on the dates. Is the, the, the city of Jericho was not gone by the time the Israelites got there. But she found clear evidence for the accuracy of the Bible's description of the falling of the walls. Now, imagine that. Somebody who hates the Bible and sets out to try to disprove this story has to say, no, you know what? The Bible story is true. And what we find there as evidence is actually, uh, is actually true. So this is, this is Kenyon's drawing, but it's been colorized to emphasize her discovery. What you're seeing there is all of this other rubble and everything else. Once you get down through all of that rubble, then you can see the ancient city of Jericho that actually would have been there. So all of the stuff that's in color there um, is, is what the ancient city would have been. And then all the stuff that's in black and white above that was stuff that was built on top of that uh, later on. There's the ancient Jericho layer. You have various other rubble. And then you have the Byzantine layer, which would have come um, well after Israel was there. So, but she showed those layers of civilization that archaeologists dug through to get to the ancient Jericho structure. And when they dug through all of those things, they found 
that exactly the way the Bible said it happened is backed up by the archaeological evidence and, and what they see there. So there's the revetment, there's the fallen upper wall, there's the fallen lower wall, and you can see how the Israel could have just walked right up. And so the red and yellow colored areas show how the walls fell down, filled that area up in front, and made it so that, like the Bible says, they could go up into the city. And she found a heavy fill of fallen red brick pilings near the top of the revetment, which would have been exactly consistent with, with what the Bible says about how the walls fell down flat. And uh, there you go. There's Dr. Wood standing on the remnant of the retaining wall of the revetment explaining how the walls fell. Oh, here, brother. Brother Josh, can you give me This a, is the uh, stone retaining wall which held in place the earthen embankment that surrounded the city. And on top of the stone retaining wall was the mud brick wall. Okay. This find of a collapsed city wall found here at Jericho is unique in archaeology. At no other site have we found evidence for a city wall that has fallen down. Can you imagine that? No other site have they found evidence for a city wall that's fallen down, except the place in the Bible where, the, where, the, where it says that the walls fell down. Amazing. So there's a reconstructive drawing that shows those revetments and the outer wall, the inner walls, and everything else of of what, what they think that the city of Jericho would have looked like. The third thing, then, is that the city was burned. The Bible says in Joshua chapter 6, and they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein. And get this, uh, Kenyon misdated her ruins, all right, but uh, her own description of the destruction, and she wrote that book, Excavations at Jericho, she said the destruction was complete. Walls and floors were blackened or reddened by fire, and every room was filled with falling bricks timbers, and household utensils. I, I, to me, it's just an amazing thing that, that the Bible's account is completely backed up by an archaeologist who did not care uh, whether the Bible was true or not, that actually hated the Bible and set out to try to disprove it. And she said, can't, can't deny the evidence. There's a burned, destructive layer about three feet thick, and I know it's hard to see because it's a grainy black and white picture, but they had evidence um, and like I said, a lot of it has just been covered up today because of the lack of, of, uh, of protecting that place. But they have evidence that, that the city was burned with fire the same way that the Bible said it was. There's an excavated house in ancient Jericho. This is, this is back from the 1930s. Fourth thing is that part of the city wall, this is amazing. With attached houses was left standing on the north side. And that was probably where Rahab's house was located. Those walls fell down except for one place where there was a couple houses, and that was probably where Rahab's house was. Now, nobody knows for sure. Nothing in the house said anything about Rahab or anything else, but what else would explain why one of the houses on the outer wall was standing, other than the fact that God promised that she and her house would be saved. The walls fell down flat, and then they went up and got Rahab and her family out. If Rahab and her family were living on this wall, which it had to have been an outer wall, right? What's, what's the Bible say in the story? They, let that, the, they were let down by that scarlet cord, and they escaped, right? So it had to have been on the outer wall. And now here you find that one little section of that wall is still standing. And the Bible says they walked around six days, and then on the seventh day they walked around seven times. The walls fell down, and then they went up. And Joshua, before they did anything, said, hey, go save Rahab and her family. Had the wall fallen down and Rahab and her family were still in it, they would not have been saved. They would have died. So here we have evidence of the fact that one house, uh, uh, one part of the wall with a couple houses that were attached to it were, was, was 
left standing, and more than likely that was Rahab's house. Completely backs up what the Bible says. When the Germans excavated at Jericho in 1907 through 09, they discovered a portion of the wall on the north side of the city that had not fallen. Moreover, there were houses built on the rampart against the outer city wall. That's three discoveries at Jericho from the Bible Archaeology Report. So on the top are portions of the city wall with the houses that were attached. On the right there, um, an archaeologist is standing at the bottom to kind of give you a, a picture of how big it actually was. But amazing, amazing that Rahab's house uh, the, and the story that of Rahab completely backs up what they find in archaeology. Now, this is, this is what it looks like now. And the, the site has been exposed to the elements. They've, they've made no effort to preserve it. And so the destruction continues. Look at this. This is what that same picture looked like in 2008. 2008. And here they are next to each other. Uh, right there. 2008, 2019. I mean, just in, in just over 10 years, you can see how much of it is just disintegrated and gone. So it's, it's continuing to crumble because they're not, they're not preserving any of it. They don't have any reason to preserve it. So the fact that we have these pictures and some of these things that we can see that prove uh, this, this Bible story is, is something that's going to last forever, really. But, and then here's another interesting thing as well. There were, they found containers filled with grain that were all the way throughout the excavations. Now that's in another, another amazing thing because in Joshua 6, 17 through 19, um, the fact that the grain was found uh, in that ruins, uh, in those ruins, grain had great value. Grain was worth a lot, especially. Think about Israel. Right, they're camped on the plains of Moab. Where are they going to get grain from? They cross the Jordan River. They come into the city of Jericho. They have all of this in front of them. And Joshua says, don't touch it. All of this belongs to the Lord. And they go back and they find big, you know, barrels full of grain. They would have absolutely taken those and used them as part of food and everything else. But the fact that they found them there proves, again, the Bible's story that they didn't touch anything in the city of Jericho because it was for the Lord. And uh, Joshua told them not to take anything, and sure enough, they found all of this in there. And the fact that the city was filled with grain supports the Bible's account that there was not a long siege, right? Some people try to say, well, they took the city because they, they laid siege to it. No, they didn't. There was grain all over the place in the city of Jericho. That would not have been there if there had been a long siege, and, uh, and they ran out of food and surrendered. So another thing, and there's, there's burnt wheat from the ruins of ancient Jericho. So proves that that wheat was in the fire that Joshua set to the city of Jericho. Amazing. And the city was not rebuilt. It was cursed by Joshua. The Bible says there in Joshua 6, 17, the city shall be accursed, even it and all that are therein to the Lord. And so like Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, we find that in Matthew chapter 11. We'll talk more about that when we get to the Galilee area. But the ruins of ancient Jericho stand today in silent witness to the truth of God's word. Nothing is on that Jericho tell. And nothing has been since then. An amazing thing. Brian Wood, again, he said, Jericho was once thought to be a Bible problem because of the seeming disagreement between archaeology and the Bible. When the archaeology is correctly interpreted, however, just the opposite is the case. The archaeological evidence supports the historical accuracy of the biblical account in every detail. Every aspect of the story that could possibly be verified by the findings of archaeology is, in fact, verified. And that, to me, that's just an amazing, amazing thing about what we find there in the city of Jericho. What you have to do is look at the evidence, analyze okay. the evidence, and come to your conclusion based on the evidence, not what an authority figure says, not what the majority opinion is. You have to just put that out of your mind 
and just look at the evidence and come to your conclusion based on what the evidence tells you. So there you go. Several other notable things happened in the Bible in the vicinity of Jericho. I'm going to try to cover these pretty quickly, all right, because I want to get, I want to get through this tonight without being here till 9 o'clock. So here you go. I, and I put this there, the Jordan Valley. You can just write some of these verses down, all right? Actually, I have some of these written down that I can read to you to, to help make it go a little bit faster. But um, So here's one thing. David traveled through Jericho when he was fleeing from Absalom. Did you ever think of that? I, I, I've read that story a million times, and uh, probably not a million, but a lot. And I don't think I've ever noticed that he traveled through there. He traveled over the Mount of Olives to beyond Jordan, and then he returned as the conquering king after having been rejected. That's a picture of Jesus Christ's second coming. But the only way that he could have gone, if he went from Jericho to across Jordan, he would have had to go right through, I mean, sorry, from Jerusalem to across Jordan, he would have had to go right through Jericho, right around that area in order to, uh, to pass through there. And the Bible says in, in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 24, then David came to Mahanaim and Absalom passed over Jordan, he and all the men of Israel with him. So uh, David traveled through Jericho when he was fleeing from Absalom. Beyond Jordan, Elijah was taken into heaven in a chariot of fire. 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, verse number 6. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry, I pray thee, here, for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. And he said, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And fifty men of the sons of prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too stood by Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it together and smote the waters. And they were divided hither and thither, so that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass, when they were gone over, that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be upon me. And he said, Thou hast asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if thou see me when I'm taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. It came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elisha, Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And, of course, then that was right there in that Jordan area. So, very near Jericho, uh, within sight of Jericho at the very least. Here's another one then. John the Baptist, Baptist baptized in the Jordan in Bethabara in that area. Matthew chapter 3 and verse 5 and 6. Uh, in fact, I have that in the next slide, I believe. So John's preaching and his baptism was attended by multitudes in Matthew 3, 5 and 6. They went out to Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. Bethabara... Jericho, all of that would have been close enough. I mean, you're talking just a very, very short distance that they would have been able to see all of those things. All of that happened there in that area. Jesus came from Galilee for his baptism in Bethabara. Matthew 3 in verse 13 tells us that he came to, uh, from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized. And then John chapter 1 and verse 28 says these things were done in Bethabara beyond Jordan where John was baptizing. And, of course, then Bethabara, Jericho, that whole area was, was all right down there at the bottom. Uh, and it was also here that Andrew and Peter became the first disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, that occurred in Perea, where John was baptizing. The Bible tells us that. Jesus was tempted 40 days in the wilderness of Judea, which is the dry mountainous terrain between Jer uh, Jerusalem and Jericho. And we talked about that. You can see that. In fact, I'll show you a few pictures here. There's the Judean wilderness west of Jericho. I mean, look, uh, just a, just a, uh, something that you would never imagine uh, looked like that necessarily. Uh, but when the Bible says that Jesus went up into a mountain, I mean, there's mountains, and that's what all of these are. Um, and, of course, uh, the Bible talks about Jesus being led into the wilderness, and um, that's the Judean wilderness right there west of Jericho where Jesus would have been. 
Now, that's the Mount of Temptation. And the Mount of Temptation is the high mountain that rises above Jericho. And uh, there's, there's a picture of it. Um, there's actually a monastery up there. Um, they've, built, they've built monasteries. And, and you can kind of see a little part of that monastery at the very top. You see that little, that little that's, that's actually a part of a building up there, uh, right there. There's a monastery up there. And, of course, the Catholic Church has done that with so many places. Um, they think they know where these things happen, so they built, the, they built a cathedral on it or a monastery on it or whatever. And uh, in, a, in a lot of things, I, I don't know if they're 100% right, but I think they, they're close on most of those things. Um, but no, obviously nobody knows, but, but um, basically Satan led Jesus to one of the highest points and, and showed him everything and said, all of this can be yours if you'll bow down and worship me. Well, that's the highest point. That's, that's kind of the highest point that he could have looked from. So uh, the natural thinking then is that that is the Mount of Temptation. And uh, you can kind of see some different caves and things like that. A lot of these monks, and I, I showed you a lot of that other stuff, they would hide in these caves and meditate for days on end. Uh, but there's the Mount of Temptation is accessible via a cable car from Jericho. And where that big arrow is at is the tell that we were looking at there. That's Jericho. Um, this is a Guinness World Record. It's the cable car that is the farthest below sea level. They'll come up with a Guinness World Record for anything, but that's what they have. Welcome to the Jericho Cable Car, 223 meters below sea level. It's a Guinness World Record. And uh, there you go. So I think I have a little video of, uh, there you go. The cable car is going up to the top. Actually, that's them coming around. but three in a group, and that's what you saw in, in all of those uh, pictures where you could see the, um, the shadows. But look how high that mountain actually is, all right? And that, that doesn't even really, it's, it's hard to get a, a perception of how big that, that really is. You can see on the right side how tall that mountain is. I mean, if I had to guess on that, that little section there, where the buildings, that's two stories, maybe even three stories of businesses and restaurants and everything else. It, it's really hard to get a picture of how big. But I bet, I bet you up there where we were at, there was probably 100 plus people. And uh, I mean, it, it, that's how tiny it looks. Um, and it just shows you how big that mountain really is. So the fact that Satan led Jesus to a high mountain to show him all the world, you know, uh, very likely is, is that. Um, so there you go. It's a great, great picture. Here's a little video from up there in that little section. That's where the cable card takes you and drops you off there. Just kind of gives you, we, we went over the, the bumps there. Um, but um, so there's, the, there's Jordan all in the background. You can see they're very, very faint mountains, but you can see them in the background. The Jordan River would have been running right through there. Point these out, I think uh, right here. Okay, so to go to Jerusalem would have been the, to head up that direction. There's the Jordan River. There's Jericho, the Tell. There's the Jordanian Mountains. And, and if you can actually, uh, I wish I could zoom in a little bit because you can't really see it. But um, this, all right here, starting about right here and all the way down, is the, is the Dead Sea. All right, so that's how close. There's Jericho. There's the Dead Sea. This is the Jordan River. So when you're talking about all of these things, Jesus walking through there to go, uh, to get baptized in the Jordan, Elijah, Elijah uh, and Elisha going through there and him going up in a whirlwind. All of that would have happened in this area because even if they were going to the Dead Sea, 
All right, the Dead Sea is right here. Jericho is right here. All of that would have happened right, right there. Bethabara would, would have been like right in this area. You can see it all. You can see everything from there. You're not talking about a great distance at all, especially when you're talking about the view from, from uh, where they could have seen those things. So all of those things that we're told about in the Bible all happened right there, all within, basically within view of Jericho. Um, there's, this is uh, another little view of that same general area, but maybe giving you a little bit more of a, a pan look at it. Um, the Jordan River in the background there, the Jordanian Mountains in the background. And that's the city of Jericho today. Would not have looked anything like that uh, during the time that the, the children of Israel were crossing. It would have been much, much, much smaller. Basically, all of these would have been fields. I don't know if you can see it coming or not. This will kind of give you a little bit of a picture here. That's the, that's the cable cars making their way up. Um, and that's three of them with six people each. And that's just, it looks tiny in there, just to kind of give you a picture. All right, a couple more things. Jesus was beyond Jordan for real when he heard that Lazarus had died. And he passed through Jericho on the way to Bethany to heal him. And again, for the sake of time, um, I'll read a couple of these verses to you. Therefore, they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. And many resorted unto him and said, John did no miracle, but all things that John spake of this man were true and believed on him there. Many believed on him there. Now, a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore his sister sent unto him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. And it goes on and talks about that story a little bit more. But there's Jericho, there's Bethany, there's Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus was in Perea, would have had to go right through that same exact area in order to get to Bethany to heal Lazarus, to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus passed through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem for the crucifixion. Uh, he would have had to go right through that area because uh, th think about where the mountains are and how how ridiculously impossible it would have for you to go through the mountains to get anywhere. So he would have come right through that Jordan Valley area, right past that little Dead Sea area, and, and gone to Jerusalem that way. That was the route to Jerusalem. So he would have taken that route on his way to the crucifixion. He healed a blind man named Bartimaeus on his way there as well. Uh, he passed through Jericho. He saved Zacchaeus the publican. In fact, Luke chapter 19, verse 1, And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And you know the rest of that story. Uh, but the Bible very plainly says that he passed through Jericho. So there in Jericho, they have the Zacchaeus tree, of course. Uh, it's a sycamore tree in Jericho. Uh, obviously, it's probably not the one that, Jer uh, that Zacchaeus climbed. But this is interesting. They've carried out tests on the tree that have shown that that tree is over 2,000 years old. So uh, that tree likely would have been there uh, when Jesus passed through Jericho. Uh, was that the one that Zacchaeus was in or not? Who knows? It's a sycamore tree, and it was there more than likely during the time when, the, when, uh, when Jesus was there. So uh, it could be. It could be. Um, some things, like, and, and we'll talk about this as we get to the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, they have the Garden of Gethsemane there with all these olive trees, and oh, you, but the, the trees are no more than 900 years old, and they know that because they were burned. Uh, when, when Jerusalem was overtaken. So they were replanted, and eh, still 900 years is old, but it wasn't there during the time of Christ. So to find a tree that is actually 2,000 years old and dates to around the time when Jesus would have gone through Jericho is, is pretty amazing. Um, but, of course, they, 
they use that as a way to make some more money so you can go see the Jericho tree. And uh, There's some peacocks in Jericho. They were all over the place up there. Uh, you see them hanging out all over. There's four or five of them just in that picture there. And one last thing that I thought was pretty interesting. This is a fruit that they had there. I've never heard of it before. And uh, it's called pomelo. And uh, the guy that was there in the city of Jericho, I, was, I, I asked somebody, and he overheard me. And he said, oh, come over here. Here, try it. And he just cut one open and gave it to me. And so we tried it. And it was kind of a mix between like a, maybe like a lemon and a grapefruit or something. But a really, really thick. You can see how thick the actual outer uh, uh, rind, if you will, of that thing is. But it's, it's exactly like an orange or a grapefruit or something like that. But I thought that was pretty interesting. So we'll end with that picture there. But very, very interesting with how... Uh, with how the Bible's account of the story of Jericho has been a problem because it, did not, it didn't say what archaeology said. Guess who was wrong? Not the Bible. It was the archaeologists. And the more they've actually dug and found out, they said, huh, come to find out the Bible actually is true. And everything that the Bible said, in any aspect that they've looked at, the Bible story is backed up by what archaeology shows. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And a lot of stuff happened in the city of Jericho. And... Um, Hopefully, hopefully next time when you read that story, uh, it'll, it'll open your eyes a little bit. You'll see things that you haven't seen before. And uh, maybe now when you're going through the New Testament even, and, and you see some of the stories that you've heard many times before, Jericho will pop out to you and you'll say, oh, I know exactly where that's at. It's right there on the northwest corner of the, sea of, Ga of, of the Dead Sea, right there up next to Jerusalem. All right? Hopefully that helps. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll sing. We'll sing our song. And then we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for uh, what we find in the Word of God. I thank you that we, ha that we can trust without any question the authority of the Word of God. And God, I, I thank you that, that we have archaeology to back this up to prove it even more and uh, just give us even more confidence in the Word of God. Thank you again for all that you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.